Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Welcome to the Secret Resume podcast, hosted by me, Melody Moore. In this podcast, we explore the people, places, and experiences that have shaped my guests, those which have influenced who they are as people and where they are in their work life today. You can listen in as we have a rich exploration of often unexamined and undiscussed but very important aspects of their lives, or as I like to call it, their secret resume. My guest today is Michelle Minikin. So uh, welcome, Michelle. Really excited to um, have you here today. It's the beginning of the week of your book launch, so I'm sure you'll be very busy. So I'm very honoured to to have you here. And I just wondered if you could uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Thank you ever so much for having me on, first of all. Um, so yes, my name is Michelle Minikin. I'm an organisational psychologist and coach and author, which Yay! I'm not getting used to saying. Um, so yes, I live up in the northeast of England um, and I'm sure we're going to come across this, but I have written a book called Good Girl Deprogramming. It's a look at how society keeps women and girls behaving through the use of coercive control techniques and what we can do about it. Love it. Absolutely love it. I am very much looking forward to reading it. And you just flashed a copy at me. It's a very good looking book. It's gorgeous. It's pretty. It's It's obviously the most important thing. (laughs) I've just chosen the cover for mine and it's it's really hard, I found, to uh, make a decision. So, yeah. And everybody I asked, they all had different opinions. Did you ask other people? Oh, yes. It was a mistake. Yes, because everyone has a different point of view, which then made me think maybe really it doesn't matter. No, it's yeah, we really fell in love with like a white cover. Then we realised a white covered book would get really dirty really quickly. <laughs> and it's not going to. Well, is it going to? I have many white coloured books. So, yes, there was lots to go, lots going into choosing covers of books. It was. A yeah. Bit yeah. And then I suspect we probably overthink it and that. Now that people buy them from Amazon and it's a tiny little um, thumbnail on a screen, actually, it probably doesn't make much difference, but makes us feel better. It does. Well, it does, exactly. (laughs) It's all about us. So um, let's uh, jump back in time, uh, like Doctor Who. Hmm? Or does he go forward? I'm not sure. uh to uh i've got down on my notes here pre-diagnosis and this is pre your adhd diagnosis is the when we're going to start uh your story so talk to me a little bit about about that what was life like at work um for you and generally pre your diagnosis so um i quit quit proper jobs quit work 2016 and it was I had an interesting career so I was at one point I was a chartered psychologist and still doing admin because I was so rubbish at admin nobody would give me the opportunity to advance because I hadn't mastered the admin yet and the worst thing you can do to an ADHD who didn't know they had ADHD, was to make them arrange multiple interviews with multiple people in multiple locations. It was it was painfully boring, which made it even more painful. Um, 
So it took so much effort and concentration to have that level of detail, which is really weird because I can arrange like a hundred person assessment centre with multiple moving parts. I think there's interest in there, isn't there? Because people are doing different things at different times. So yeah, it's it, the ADHD is spotty. Sometimes it works in my favour and sometimes it really doesn't help. And it doesn't help because I was working in an open plan office. And the worst thing you can do for me is put me in an open plan office with people, lots of different people and exciting things happening because I worked in HR and that's full of gossip and nosiness, let's face it. And um, <laughs> so I was just like a meerkat doing my doing my best to get through the day at work and then coming home sorting my child out and then going back to work again in silent in my living room because I could actually concentrate because there wasn't multiple people around me and then multiple lights and heat and temperature and cold and flickers and oh yeah it was awful and they were all distracting to you was it like the temperature and the lights and yes Turns out I'm really sensitive <laughs> to cold in particular. And we all know that officers generally are um are colder and women on a whole like like things a bit warmer. So having to wear sort of multiple layers and taking a little blanket in because I was freezing, and then the sort of the over like the glare of you know, windows and overhead lights and, oh, yeah. And so I suffered with terrible migraines, but I just, I didn't know what what this was. And um, the doctors just would just send me away, not really interested. Um, but yes, yeah, so there's the admin thing, the open plan office thing. The, however, the sort of, with those sort of really big struggles became like really big super strength. So when things went wrong, I was awesome at fixing them and being able to talk to the right people. So it wasn't until I got to, I left a permanent job to take on a temporary maternity cover because I met a, a chap who was going to be my boss who actually kind of believed in what I was capable of. And then I got promoted four times in four years um to a a role that was significantly more seated towards me so my job was to do the outward facing recruitment stuff so speaking to the hiring managers and corralling them into doing what we needed them to do um and solving solving problems and look, looking at innovative ways to to get the right people in and that really really sort of play to my strengths and what was it that you think he saw in you that others hadn't seen what made him do something different to what others had done <laughs> you know what you're not supposed to do when you go into in uh, into um interviews and like be completely and utterly honest and truthful about that lack of progress and that lack of responsibility and I think he just saw that I was being wasted my my potential was being wasted and don't get me wrong the job that he hired me for was very similar but I had so much more freedom and autonomy and um, I was being 
again being involved in the interviews rather than just arranging them so um he saw he saw that ambition i think in me as well to to do much more um so yeah that's that's that was the start of my career at uh, the engineering and construction firm and you said that the other jobs that you ended up doing were much more aligned to your skills what in what way what was it about them that made them better aligned so, i think about the same time the technology shifted so interviews were able to be arranged you you literally put in the system that these are the dates that the hiring manager could do and then the candidates would book themselves in but there's nothing worse and having to send emails and messages backwards and forwards so that technology shift really 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 helped um because i it was it made made things a bit more interesting so that was that was kind of number one um but that that freedom and autonomy to do things my way so i'm one of these people that can always find a sort of a better way of doing things like a more efficient a cheaper a faster way of doing things it's like why are we doing it like this it makes no sense um but that was the first time anybody said oh yes that, that actually does make sense so yep it is doesn't you know this is completely nonsense so we'll we'll, we'll try it your way so I had that freedom to experiment to find ways of working that was suitable to me so what i didn't know again at the time because that was before i'd met um the lovely rob baker who wrote a book about job crafting is that i was job crafting on the fly in that in that role so i was able to put into place um ways of working that suited me rather than di being dictated at so that autonomy but it also sounds like they were willing to listen and open to change that sounds like a key element of yeah. that trust yeah so they trusted you to do things in your way yeah it's interesting as well kind of the beginning of my career was marred by the fact that i was a very young looking bubbly female um whose defense mechanism for anything uncomfortable was humor so i my credibility was com always being undermined by me when i was in an uncomfortable situation being properly hilarious i do it now but I look older now so i can get away with it um, <laughs> one advantage of aging <laughs> I know, I know. it's interesting actually i'm nervous i'm jumping jumping forward 20 years here <laughs> but it has been fascinating when i've left work and started to work for myself as well as being that you know that 20 years older people listen to me now mm. people take me seriously when they didn't when i when i had when i was working in, in in organizations which is really interesting information really isn't it yeah and i've i really i mean i've been consulting for over 20 years and i really feel sometimes for internal people who are saying exactly the mm -hmm. same as i was saying 
it's just because I was external, I was listened to, and that internally they weren't listened to, even though yeah. they may have say, um, been saying exactly the same. So of course, then they that you know the smart ones then use you to give the messages that they're trying to to give, knowing you know, and it's it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because um, there's something about ego and knowing how to use a system um, that doesn't always make you feel brilliant if you're internal, but no. gets you what you want in the long run. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, the politics you have to, and the games you have to play to get things done in organisations, it's just so much, it's so wasteful, so much time, effort and energy. It's like, oh, can we not just have like an honest conversation here? It's, I've got, I've got clients who are really struggling in, in big companies and you know I just sometimes I just wish for the them to be able to have a conversation with like the HR director to say it's not working out can <laughs> you just pay me some money and I'll go away <laughs> you know what I mean but there's, there's nobody willing to have those conversations it's 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 frustrating absolutely Talk to me about how your, and then we will come on to this in terms of uh, your book, etc. But you know, early in your career, talk to me about how your good girl conditioning played out, um, you know, as a young female in the workplace. So my, I'm going to ask you a question in return, actually. So what happens at school? So girls are more mature at school. Girls do better in exams. Girls do better, you know, they're more mature, they're held to bigger, higher standards at school. And then as soon as they go into an organisation, they are, you know, lacking confidence, have this imposter syndrome thing, you know, they need to be more assertive. What happens in that girls are more mature at school and then girls clearly need rescuing in organisations? <laughs> what is that i have no idea it's bonkers though isn't it mm. so yes i was a quintessential good girl so school trains you to be able to adapt to authority figures understand quite quickly what they um what they need what their preferences are how to talk to them how to um how to deal with them and we kind of learn that adaptability um due to the, due to school so in i think when you're in an organization the power dynamics are weird in such that they give you money for being there and they tell you how you want they want you to behave so i just did that i just did what i was told um with a internal voice screaming at me saying this isn't the right way of doing this this is just nonsense with so much better ways of doing it and it took yeah it took me I think ten, well Oliver when my little boy was born when I was 30 so it was almost that was the that was the time where I couldn't just do everything I was told but yeah I was you know, completely lacking confidence and people pleasing to the nth degree. No boundaries. 
and it wasn't until <laughs> I had a, a screaming ball of rage child that I just realized I couldn't couldn't do all of the things so reducing my hours really helped but then luckily or not during it was during the sort of the financial crisis of 2008-2009 that time when he was born so there wasn't a lot of recruitment happening so I was bored out of my brains at work because I only was not made redundant because I was on maternity leave so when I came back there wasn't any recruitment happening so I was in payroll processing expenses which if you know anything about ADHD and our need for interesting exciting changeable novelty variety was painful it's like why would I why am I paying a fortune to leave my little boy in a nursery to do bloody expenses as and I was you know I was probably seven years in from being a chartered psychologist as well at that point bonkers and was this before or after um you know you had the better boss who you before. know you got the before okay yes okay. so I I so I remember him sitting me down and said we really want to offer you the job but you're leaving a permanent job that you've got, you know, service, you've got a company car. You're a single mother with a child, with like a small child. Why would you leave a permanent job to come and do a temporary job? Am I literally I'm dying here? Please just take me away from this place. <laughs> so that was pretty much the conversation. And I'm interested as a fellow single mother, and I know you're not now, but um, at the time you uh, were a single mum, how did you, it sounds like being a single parent made you establish some stronger boundaries? Yes. How yes. else did it change things? It, it made me more assertive because it's not just for me anymore. And, you know, quite <laughs> the sort of people-pleasing kind of then transferred across to my son almost so yeah he was a uh, <laughs> he defied all of the the parenting books because we didn't know at the time but we now know um that he was ADHD and autistic so and you like you'd read the books and like oh this instruction manual of how to get your child to sleep it's like <laughs> none of it works so I always had to sort of trial and error my way through parenthood and figure out a way of work that that worked for him and I and uh and he was so yeah so it was all my focus was totally different like work was just like meh. <laughs> um just a just a means and I worked it out with sort of living and nursery I literally, I worked it out. I didn't, I would have been just as well off on benefits. But that, that wasn't an option? I I would have been bored. But, mm. <laughs> but I would have been, it's like, I literally, I did a, did a comparison. Me on benefits and me in work. Because of the sort of the high nursery fees. I would have been just as just as well off claiming income support at the time. Do you think being a single parent made you 
even more focused and more you know your boundaries stronger as opposed to having someone else to share potentially share the the burden and i mean burden in the nicest way of raising a <laughs> child <laughs> it makes it sound terrible doesn't it um <laughs> yeah but i still think my yes much better than what they were but still not not good enough i suppose because i was burning the candle at both ends shall we say but at least when i sw switched jobs it was interesting and exciting so that nourished me as well mm -hmm. so yes and meeting all of the new people and a much more open-minded fast-paced work um and some really awesome colleagues and is it then harder to establish boundaries when you're really loving the thing you're having to boundary? 100%. Yes. Yeah. I loved the job, loved the people, loved what I was doing. It was really exciting. It was new. It was shiny. But it was a nice, it was a nice time though as well. Because I I didn't know then what I know now. So I was kind of blissfully unaware, I suppose, of the fact that I was heading towards a massive burnout. It took me ages to get there, though. So. Mm. And what was it that led to the burnout then? So at the time, the organisation had been um, under numerous profit warnings because yeah for many reasons um this is probably the sort of hangover i suppose from the the financial crisis hitting construction um and a new a new ceo came in with his team and, and this is this is like this is like adhd plus being a chartered psychologist instead of having one change program you know we need to reduce headcount by x We'll just do it once and we'll do it well. There was like four, five, six rounds of it. And it was just like, how do you expect anybody to get anything done when you keep you keep reducing the numbers? And we were we were working two, three people, people's jobs at, at, at the same time. Um and my so a different boss who was equally as awesome said that he'd had enough and he was going and I'm, I could see the boss that was going to replace him and I'm like I can't work for this person <laughs> do not trust this person at all to have our backs um he didn't have he didn't have any any experience in what we were doing so how he could think of managing us I have no idea so I threw a wobbly and I left too and I jumped out of the frying pan and into the fire well volcano I suppose <laughs> it was it was not a good time so I spent six months in another organization and then that was it I couldn't I couldn't I couldn't do work ever again I could but not for the <laughs> Just a lady of leisure now. <laughs> no, sadly not. <laughs> Haven't won the lottery yet. Um, but yes, I had to. I just had. I couldn't. I couldn't have a boss again. I <laughs> just no. So that was the point that made you 
quit as you said earlier quit proper jobs quit proper jobs <laughs> and that was 2016 did you say 2016 yes okay so what did you do then what what you leapt out of the frying pan into the volcano and then out of the volcano into <laughs> my own company um so interestingly enough my first proper job after my master's was working for a um I was working for an organizational psychologist and it was just him so you had his own company so my first proper job was seeing how you would run and grow and organize a a small micro business I suppose and I was like "Ooh, I want to do this when I grow up and obviously looking really young I had to actually make sure I did look a bit older <laughs> before I did it um so I I set up my own business psychology practice and went by getting clients um panicked got a part-time job at the NHS as an organizational psychologist which was life-saving but <laughs> hilarious and it, and it was half the money I was on before but it gave me the the healing time so I did a year mm. there just writing psychometric testing which was it wasn't the most exciting job on the planet but lovely people really interesting organization um and <laughs> gave me that so she was pulling a face there as people won't be able to see that <laughs> it was there it was I was it was almost a culture shock coming from like a consultancy into a public sector company well I started my career in the NHS so I uh, I went the other way around yeah I was just like oh wow this is how things happen so bearing in mind I'd you know come from an engineering lean six sigma you know, let's eliminate all waste to just it was the pace of work was just unreal but I loved I loved my colleagues they were mint and they kept they kept me entertained and the work was easy I didn't really have to think about it so it was really nice just to be able to have that alongside growing my own growing my own thing that's interesting isn't it that um there's something about having an income that's not too taxing on your brain but gives you like you say it was a lot less than you were earning before but it was an income and it was security mm -hmm. whilst at the same time then being able to build your own business and pour I guess a lot more of your energy into that yeah it was interesting though so we we're not taught how to make to do businesses to create businesses to all of the the different things that go into that and I've always been sort of slightly rebellious leaning mischievous human and what I did is I set up a really boring business psychology practice like a proper grown-up one <laughs> <laughs> and you know I did that for I did that for four years before I realized that that wasn't me and while I can behave and I have you know evidence of my behaving with the clients I've worked with I, my, my natural my natural lean is towards disruption and innovation and creativity um so I really struggle to sort of embody the brand or talk about the brand you know so it was just like I got bored with that quite quickly too so then I met, I met my now partner when I was doing 
thing called LinkedIn Local. I was the Newcastle person for that. So yes, I created a networking um, group and found a partner. Check me out. <laughs> <laughs> ah, so that's the answer. <laughs> yes, <laughs> start LinkedIn Local. Um, so he has, he's going to hate me saying this, but I'm going to say it anyway. I've said it loads of times. He has the most amazing voice. And, you know, he should have been on, he should have been on radio. He should have been a, a smooth radio producer, <laughs> presenter even. And um, he said one day, I'd like to start a podcast. So we did. Because I've got very much a case of, why, what's the point in talking about something? We might as well just do something type of approach, which I think is probably ADHD. And uh, so we did start the podcast and we started working together and then we you know he came on board with the LinkedIn local and yeah and then we started volunteering for action for happiness so we're doing lots of things for free um at <laughs> this point and our very expensive podcasting habit as well um but it enabled us to sort of try out working together first so he then retrained to become a Gallup certified strengths coach and so uh, the podcast came first interesting before the business as it currently stands yeah uh, interesting so it was a different podcast so you've got the it's the inspiration north podcast so now james has turned that into a, a community interest company so he helps goes into schools and helps children understand what their strengths are oh wow and, and teachers and so it's this kind of in that transition year year seven when they're just about to go to high school mm -hmm. yeah so he's working in collaboration with a friend of ours who owns in the coc to do that so that's what he's been squirreling away while i've been writing my book and not and not keeping total tabs on him because he wasn't allowed he wanted to do this for years but he wasn't allowed to do it until um our business work pirates was like properly established <laughs> Until <laughs> you were distracted doing something I, else. And then exactly. <laughs> he was just waiting for that moment. Was, okay, yes. brilliant, brilliant. So we'll come back to Work Pirates a bit later, but let's talk about, um, you told me about a time uh, where you had um, gone to an award ceremony. Is that right? At the House of Lords? Yes. As so, I said, very fancy. Fancy, wasn't it? So yeah, I was really <laughs> excited to be invited. It was an International Women's Day thing. So every year, 100 female entrepreneurs have to apply for it, kind of get on a list. And so I, I, I rocked up to the House of Lords for my breakfast meeting. And this was just as the pandemic was about to start. So at that point, we weren't allowed to hug people. Mm. Um, and know why that particular part of the whole slight rule so in march 2020 um and i have since learned that adhders attract other adhders like moths to a flame so anna price was a lady who's also a competition slash list winner and she was talking and i was i was totally drawn to her she was telling us all about this um she wasn't she wasn't part of the event she was a participant <laughs> so she's telling us about her recent adhd diagnosis and barring the being really good at sports 
um, thing, it all kind of hit home. So she talked about how she was always told by teachers that she wasn't quite fulfilling her potential. She was predicted better grades than she got in her A-levels and GCSEs and all of this stuff. And all, it just reams of it. And I left that left that meeting um, reeling, actually, because I realised that this was the thing. So I've been backwards and forwards to GPs for years with, you know, anxiety, depression, the odd bout of suicidal ideation. And... Um, and they, you know, offered me CBT, group CBT. Um, and they tried to get me on antidepressants. But I knew, I just innately knew I wasn't depressed and I wasn't anxious. There was something else. But they weren't really that bothered about trying to figure out what it was. And so armed with this knowledge, I went into pure research mode and um, printed off the NICE guidelines, of course. and basically created a business plan for my GP to say this is what the problem is like you know now you have to listen to me and you have to be serious and luckily um I think the pandemic opened a lot of people's eyes to ADHD so luckily I managed to sort of squeeze in quite quickly um through the NHS right to choose so I was diagnosed within sort of six months of going to the GP which was three months after seeing Anna. So it was Christmas um, 2020, just before my 40th birthday, that I figured out what was wrong with me. Um, you said that um, you think the pandemic opened people's eyes to it because it has seemed to have exploded in, into consciousness, I would say, particularly in adults. Um, Females yeah over the last few years and you said why, why the pandemic what do you think happened then it forced everyone to stop and examine and look at how they were working so there's a bit of like like a pattern disruptor and so some people really thrived during the pandemic some people absolutely loved working from home and being on their own and other people didn't like really badly didn't clearly and i think this is the, I think TikTok's got a lot to answer for as well. So this is when people started talking about it. So one of the things that my psychiatrist said, because I'd had, I we were talking about how I had quite a, you know, larger than average following on LinkedIn, for example. He said, please, there's so many people that are, you, living life undiagnosed and are struggling so talk about it so we were encouraged to talk about it um so yeah I think just more people were talking about it and then it became a bit of a snowball thing and then the newspapers jump onto the fact that this you know there's overdiagnosis it's like no there's been chronic underdiagnosis especially in women and girls because I thought ADHD was a naughty kid kicking the back of somebody's chair in class and getting kicked out of school and ended up in jail, um, which, you know, is the stereotypical male presentation. But I know lots of I know lots of males now who aren't naughty, um, who are always good, good boys at school. 
but they just didn't have that you know stereotypical presentation of it so how does a female presentation typically differ to what like you i would think of it being a naughty boy yeah misbehaving in the classroom so as far as i'm aware there are three types of adhd so you've got hyperactive which is that inattentive which is it's like totally my sister like dolly daydream and then you got combined um so i think my hyperactivity was internalized with my now knowing my good girl conditioning about you know stay still behave yourself in class don't you know don't talk so much all of this stuff so my hyperactivity was like in my brain so you know when you know when you're like in an, a yoga class and the, the yoga teacher's trying to get you to sort of switch your brain off it's like if you notice if you notice a word just let it float away on the clouds you know if you notice a thought sorry let it float away in the clouds and I was like huh my brain was never like that my brain's like it's a constant hailstorm of opposing thoughts it's like there are no clouds <laughs> there's no clouds it's just it's just hailstones and wind and yeah it was like a chimpanzee's tea party in my brain every time I tried to concentrate so it's it's more that internalized hyperactivity and inattentiveness so and the GP was always like you've got a degree and a master's you know how could you be so like high functioning which is a word that I was like quite happily headbutted a not a violent person but <laughs> high functioning I'm like mm. um and you've been able to have jobs and you can it's like they just she just didn't get it but she had the list and so she could not um she had all the evidence but yeah it's there's so many stereotypes and that you said that happened quite quickly then so you went to your gp mm -hmm. and they referred you on nhs right to choose what's that so if any if a private provider of a thing works with any nhs trusts i could then refer myself to it through this pathway it's not very well um advertised obviously i've never heard of it no so so yes i knew that one of the nhs trusts was working with a private company called psychiatry uk i was told it was going to be three years on a waiting list so i was like no so <laughs> i uh i sort of found this option as the cheeky shortcut that nobody tells you about but even i know now that it's still going to take a while to get diagnosed even through that route because there's so many people seeking diagnoses so in some areas unless you're at significant risk of harm they won't even they won't even refer you now the gps have been told to pack it in so and it's dangerous having people wandering around knowing they've got this thing and not helping them get that diagnosis and that sort of self-validation I suppose that I think if it wasn't for jobs and 
modern society, I think ADHD is quite happy get on with stuff because they're the they're the the explorers and the adventurers and the, the you know the curious the curious folk. That I'm sure it was an ADHD that said, "I wonder what would happen if I took milk from a cow, an egg from a, a chicken, some sugar and some uh, flour, mix it up together to make cake." <laughs> it's like not that that's got to be an it's got to be an ADHD that was like on a curious, <laughs> a curious kind of adventure. But yes, it's 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 disabling because of society. It's yeah, because it's built for it's like normal in in commas people. Okay, yes, yes, which is uh um, that's one of the um. Uh, perspectives on disability isn't it that people are not disabled it's just society is not built to enable them yeah yeah what um what difference has it made to you to have your diagnosis what's changed how do you feel so when i got it i had an unexpected response to it which was like i was rather cross that it took me until the age of 40 to understand my brain. It's like, no wonder I went into to studying psychology to try and understand me and other people and why they did the things that they do. And it was almost having that lens of looking back through my life and looking through my family as well, let's face it. Um, and just like, how how different would my life have been if I'd known this sooner? Because it enabled me to put scaffolding support in place to enable me um to do the things that i need to do so get the right people to be able to explain what my needs are and um boundaries but it took me took me a year to kind of get over the rage but then after that <laughs> i put my brain to um put my brain to figuring this out um, what does the scaffolding look like? So it's almost looking at those shoulds. So if you run a business, you should sit at your desk from nine to five, Monday to Friday, and then do some work on the weekends because you're so busy. And so, you know, that's what you should do as a business owner. And you should just turn up every day, even if you feel like poop. And and you should say yes to every single piece of work and all this sort of stuff. So understanding energy so not only do i have the sort of energy of like a human i also have the energy of a woman which is cyclical so mm -hmm. depending what time of the month it is to it's just being really in tune with my body and knowing when it needs to rest because before i would not allow rest um at all and i would drug myself up to the eyeballs and work through that you know that time of the month when you're in absolute agony I would just I would just work because that's what we we should be doing so it was almost that sort of unraveling of all of those societal shoulds um and learning what works for me so ultimate job crafting pretty much mm. that, remind, so, that reminds me of um I've just been reading uh Dr Mindy Peltz's book about menopause reset and she talks about rushing woman being a rushing woman and it just really 
struck home both for myself but i think for pretty much all of my clients um, yeah really, it's really like that cult of busyness mm. so knowing when i need to stop when <laughs> one of the benefits of adhd is i can do like a week's worth of work in a morning but then i get so tired that i need to take the rest of the day off and put disney movie on and that's and being okay with that mm -hmm. you know leaving things leaving things early because i have I've had my fill i would never have done that in the olden days mm. but now i'm just like right <laughs> i'm done i'm off <laughs> <laughs> see ya and being able to put myself a little bit towards the top of the queue do you find that easier and i ask this because i do now that i own my own business because i the guilt that i would feel doing something like that uh, mm. and i don't mean the leaving early i mean the you know taking some time off because i'm tired or you know just not working the nine to five doing things in a different way i would have felt judged and guilty for those things previously now i've got no one to judge me apart from yourself apart from myself <laughs> <laughs> yes 100 percent. i just felt that this is kind of it's such a weird um power dynamic isn't it if you think about it work and there's such a what's the word this a focus on you being available from nine to five Monday to Friday or half eight till half five or whatever horrendous you know and we can't as humans we are not we did not evolve to sit at a desk for eight hours a day we literally didn't um we can't concentrate for all that time anyway so the amount of waste that goes on in organizations is bonkers isn't it so oh, well, don't... of course, the answer to that is having a standing desk. <laughs> For Eva, we're not we're, we're not built to be on computers. No. Um, we we create within those moments of boredom, don't we? Um, never in the yes. history of innovation as an innovation workshop made us be innovative. You know what I mean? It's like yes, yes. I uh, feel about a million percent more innovative now i'm not working as hard literally yeah. i have so many ideas it hurts and i feel yeah that because i'm not a rushing woman anymore no it's funny isn't it yeah yeah the world is not uh built for actually getting the best out of us the working world i think no it's not it's it was, it was almost like we designed we men designed work for people in factories and it hasn't really changed based on what we know as you know occupational psychologists they haven't changed work it's still that same kind of that tailorist approach to productivity and profit well i think we it's even more so because in you know in a a factory environment or in that sort of manufacturing environment you know the shifts are likely to be fixed and there's a break and many many office environments people work through their lunch 
um you know work into the evening you know people work very late and there's no way they're doing their best work in those times no no it's what i, I don't i always forget what the principles called so the time it takes to do a task will expand or shrink into the amount of time you've got to do a task you are never more productive the day before a holiday <laughs> yeah that's true let's um move on to um what led you to ultimately write your book and that was a conference that you were involved in so tell me a bit about that so as I, as I alluded to before, kind of was a bit cross when I found out I had my ADHD com um, diagnosis. And I had just finished the, the Tara Moore facilitator training course. So Tara Moore wrote a, book, wrote a really good book. <laughs> and I'm gonna, I'll plug it at the end because you're going to ask me that question. Um, <laughs> Save that one. I don't the answer to that one. And so i'd finished doing that i was in coaching because of the sort of the adhd stuff and getting to grips with this masking thing and then i was invited by a wonderful lady elizabeth lemke to to be one of the sort of co-creators of a an empowerment it was an lnd conference but a part of it was in the, the women's empowerment league so a day was going to be devoted to us and empowerment and so we had loads of meetings to talk about you know what what women what, what women needed what they want what we can do to help and i was going sort of as a parallel going through this whole like what was me what was adhd and so kind of unmasking that adhd becoming more authentically myself but then i kind of came up almost crashed into this other thing i was like what what is this it's like good girl conditioning so the way that we're trained to be nice be kind be share not to be too much not be too ambitious etc and it was just at that sort of that right timing that I'd um we were having these conversations and I was like, I want to do something about this good girl conditioning thing. And I went off and did my did my research and found um some work that was done in the 1950s by a chap called Albert Biderman. So he was a social scientist working with the US military who were very distraught by the fact that so many prisoners of wars from the Korean War were being were, were converting and defecting to China. And Americans couldn't quite get their head around why they would why would anybody want to leave America and become go and live in China. And they thought that the Chinese must have had some kind of magical brainwashing machine. And um, Biden and his team interviewed loads of prisoners of war to find out what, what was happening, like released prisoners of wars, clearly, to find out what was happening. And they came up with it like a taxonomy of coercive control. And I just I just remember sitting on the sofa on Wikipedia, just like reading through this, and I just thought, oh my goodness this is it this is how society keeps us behaving this is how we are trained to be good girls and 
my head almost exploded and I took rather excitedly took this back to um the the gang the empowerment ladies and they all loved it and so I pulled together a, a talk um one of the ladies helped helped me kind of get my thoughts in order we did a one one hour talk and it went down really really well and then um elizabeth gilbert's a lady who wrote a book and it's all about yeah it's all about kind of ideas come to you and they will yes, stick to you yes. and won't leave you alone and this was it it's like literally oh so that went down really well this is really interesting i could talk about this for days and so it just wouldn't go away so i was like i'll write the book okay <laughs> ideas vary um so yeah so that was in 20 i was it 2021 um autumn and then two years later here i am with the book so my coach at the time became my book wing woman and she wrote the foreword and she was my editor <laughs> of the book and it's really funny because and then i went with her with her publishers as well so I, I quite, I'm not going to wave it around because it's, be, it's underneath a pile of things and it'll be really noisy. But we've literally got book cousins now. <laughs> <laughs> so your book is about. Oh, <laughs> I was like, are you going to finish that sentence? Or do you want me no, to? <laughs> that was an ADHD moment, wasn't it? It was famous going. As I said at the beginning, it's a look at how society keeps women and girls behaving through these coercive control techniques. So I've modernized them, given them like less scientific names, but it's the it's the Albert Biderman's framework that we that I use. And it's it's a I didn't want to write a book that said this is good girl conditioning and this is how you can you know overcome that here is your michelle's 12-step process to overcoming your good girl conditioning because that just winds me up because we're not in same we're not in the same place i don't know anything about any of my readers lives um so it's more of a case of this is a thing um this is these are some examples how it manifests and these are some questions you can ask yourself to, to figure out for yourself so the book has been written in a non-self-help, self-help way, but also to be read in groups of women as well, because one of the ways that society keep women and girls behaving is this um, of the technique of social isolation. So we are taught that women have to be like super independent and not ask for anything and not be a bother and not even, you know, not ask for help. And there's is a there's a quote in the book and I cannot cannot for the life of me remember who it is off the top of my head now um there's not um something along the lines of men are terrified when they see groups of women hanging out together <laughs> <laughs> I'll figure out who that is I'll just have to read the book <laughs> um but it is it's that so the book has been written for gang slash covens of women to read together and I also created so another another tool is keeping women tired so strategic exhaustion um so knowing this i was like we don't have time to read a whole 288 page book 
So I created a quiz to find out which parts of the book that people needed to read. So yes, so here's the two or three bits of the book you need to read and then you can get on with your life. You don't have to read the whole thing. Um, so, so yes, so that's what the book's about. So in the book, there's, is there a link to the quiz? Is that how it works? Yes. Link to the quiz. I've also um, created a sort of a good girl rebellion gang handbook. So women who want to do this work can do it together in a safe way. Um, so yeah, giving people the resources to be able to go out and do it and do it themselves and come up with their own things because it's not my not my job to fix everybody <laughs> you're creating a movement though it doesn't sound like a book no it's a movement that's the that's the hope that's the hope um i know it's not out yet it's out at the end of this week but you've had people pre-read it what's been the response so far <laughs> so i did ask a number of my colleagues friends to read it and all of them did and I was like if, if you want to if you want to do like a, an endorsement for the book that would be lovely so I ended up with like 20 endorsements wow. of the book so when my the book um designer put these bits in there was like pages and pages at the start it's like well, this looks daft <laughs> it's like michelle's book's brilliant it's great it's like blah 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 and then we get to the book so what i asked her to, asked her to do is put half in the beginning and half at the end so and then like i've written a line like this endorsements carry on at the end so this book is literally sandwiched in love oh so one of the one of the things with adhd is and it's not every 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 adhd but it's certainly the case for me is this concept of rejection sensitivity so I am super sensitive to sort of criticism and <laughs> so so no matter what happens the book is sandwiched in love <laughs> so at least I knew that you know 20 coaches clinical psychologists um they all liked it <laughs> It started off rubbish. I did make some of them read it at the beginning and I got some really good feedback. But yeah, that's what happens. Your first mm. draft of anything is going to be pants. And quite frankly, I could have polished this for another six years. Yes. It just needed to get out in the end. Yes. Yeah, I feel the same. It's I. Uh, yeah, mine's literally about to go to the. Um, to the what's the word? person who makes it look like a book designer yeah um uh that's it's going there this week but the same i could go and go it would i would never stop um done is better than perfect exactly exactly brilliant thank you uh michelle i'm going to ask you some of my regular questions that i ask to my um to my guests the first one is what would what's a title or a strap line that you'd give to your story i think it's just just keep going just keep going just keep swimming just like dory from finding <laughs> just, just keep, keep swimming 
love it <laughs> love i love finding me anyway me too me too um i showed that to, to my daughter my dad has dementia and that was my way of explaining it to my daughter um i was like it's he's like um oh it's dory isn't it not nemo yeah so it's dory who's got the memory that uh keeps losing the memory i was like opa's like dora and she was like oh okay <laughs> it was really straightforward um second question is advice to your younger self stop caring so much about what people think of you because it's none of your business mm, nice i like that a lot and the third one is you hinted at this earlier your book recommendation <laughs> almost yeah. let the cat out of the bag i did i'm hopeless so <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna be i'm gonna be greedy and pick two so number one yeah is um playing big by tara moore so it's all a look at how women doubt themselves and some really good techniques about how to stop stop that bucket in um and play big in their lives and then the second one has to be be more pirate by sam conniff <laughs> well i think we're pretty much done here so thank you so much for your time today it's been absolutely fascinating i uh you know hand on heart know very little about adhd and it's just been really fascinating to hear things from your perspective and also i am really looking forward to reading your book so thank you very much this podcast is brought to you by liberare consulting with editing provided by hawkins social if you enjoyed today's episode, why not click on the subscribe button so you are the first to hear about new episodes. We look forward to welcoming you back soon.